Hi everyone. Okay, let's go on another text Torah journey. And this probably should have uh, should have been recorded before Purim. I started having some of these ideas before Purim, and then I put them all together now, which is uh, before Pesach, and maybe maybe that's even better, right? Um, let's make everything different, so even Purim Torah should be on a different festival. Um, and we're going to go on a on a textual journey, um, more or less... Um, the thread that's going to hold these texts together is the idea of a face. Okay? Panim in Hebrew. Um, and I have more to say about that, and you'll see that. But we're going to start with the laws of marriage. Now, um, in the Jewish tradition, during a wedding and in the seven days after a wedding, um, there's a tradition to say a set of seven blessings, right? A blessing for wine and then another six blessings for marriage. Um, and these are said, as I said, at the wedding, but uh, for all the meals after the wedding in the in the week after the wedding, um, if there's new people at the meal who weren't at the wedding, then we, then we consider that part of the wedding celebration and we have uh, this, these extra seven blessings. Okay, great. But what's interesting here is that those new people are called panim chadashot, new faces. And if you look in the Shulchan Aruch with the, with the laws of, of when these blessings are said, it says, um, right, so if there's guests at the, at the meal, panim chadashot, then, then you say the blessings. And some say that the day of Shabbat itself is also called panim chadashot. Okay, uh, 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 the day of Shabbat or or festivals, um, that's considered panim chadashot. So even if there's no guests, then you still say the blessings because Shabbat is the guest. Okay, very nice. But it goes into more detail. It says that's true in the first meal of Shabbat, right? So say Friday night, and the second meal of Shabbat, lunch, but not the third meal. Of Shabbat, the meal at the end of Shabbat—that's less panim chadashot. That's not considered a new face, okay? But then we have um, in the comments of the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Isselis, writing in Poland, he says, "Now our practice is to recite the seven blessings at the third meal too," and he gives two reasons for that. One is that guests come for the third meal. So you're going to have new faces anyway. And others say that usually at the third meal, you give a drasha, you give uh, um, words of Torah. And those words of Torah are like new faces. 
Okay, so this definition of new faces is, is expanding. It was actual people, and then it became Shabbat and festivals, and then it became words of Torah, and interpretations of Torah are new faces too. Okay, and there's an interesting comment in the, in the commentaries that asks a question. It says, we need to reflect where the Purim is also considered a new face for this purpose. Okay, it's, it, the commentaries don't always give an answer, but they ask a question. Is Purim considered a new face, I guess? Okay, so um, that's interesting. And that takes us to the laws of Purim. Okay, we're going to come to the same issue from the other direction. Okay, um, now, interestingly, um, you're allowed to get married on Purim, which isn't the case for other festivals, right? Marriages on Shabbat are not, are not permitted, and marriages on, uh, like, the intermediate days of a festival, right? The middle of Pesach or the middle of Sukkot, they're also not permitted because we say, En marvim simcha besimcha. Uh, we don't mix up two kinds of happiness. But for whatever reason, uh, that doesn't apply for Purim. The Shulchan Aruch says, It's permitted to get married on Purim. And you might think, why, why would that be? Don't we think that there's happiness on Purim that we shouldn't mix up with the happiness of a marriage? No, that's not an issue. So that's interesting in itself, right? And then the commentary is there. The Ramah says, uh, the Ramah kind of throws in all sorts of customs of, of Purim, which today are very common. For example, the custom of getting dressed up on Purim, wearing a costume. Right? He says, um, uh, As to the custom of wearing faces on Purim, Men who wear women's dresses and women wearing men's clothes. This is not forbidden. For they have no intention other than pure pleasure. Okay? That's interesting because according to the, the, the literal meaning, the text of the Torah says something like uh, it's forbidden to, to wear clothes of the other gender. Right? Um, different issue, different podcast, but uh, but even though the Torah says that on Purim it seems to be allowed. Why? The reason is really interesting, because it's only pleasure. Right? You wouldn't say that about anything else. You wouldn't say, uh, uh, "You're allowed to eat pork on Purim because it's only for pleasure." <laughs> no, but but here for some reason Purim. Uh, seems to to play with all the different laws that we have. Um, and this, this idea of simcha comes up. And it's in the context of, of weddings on Purim, where you might think that simcha, that pleasure and happiness, would be an issue uh, in order not to have a, a marriage. But no, it's permitted to get married on Purim. So all this is getting mixed up together. Faces, happiness, Purim... Okay, and we said words of Torah are also considered faces. 
Um, yeah, let's look into that a little bit more. Okay, um, there's a there's an interesting midrash that talks about uh, it can kind of compares the Torah to all sorts of different things. Okay, I'll leave it at that. And really, if if you want to read all the sources I'm I'm quoting here, read the source sheet uh, that's together with this podcast. Um, where where should I begin? Okay, I'll, I'll I'll begin in the middle. It says, the Torah is is compared to wine. The Torah is compared to wine. Um. That's the verse it brings. The, the mixing of wine is called masecha, uh, which is also a different word for, for a mask. But, uh, right, drink the wine can be understood as uh, listen to the Torah. Okay, why? So uh, it gives an interesting reason. Right, we know the letters in the in Hebrew are also counted as numbers. So the letters of the word wine, which is yayin in Hebrew, yayin spelled yud yud nun, which is 10 plus 10 plus 50, is 70. Okay, so um, there's wine is 70, and there's 70 faces of the Torah. The Torah has 70 faces. What does that mean? Okay, so maybe it has 70 different interpretations, 70 different ways of being understood. Okay, so already there's, we said on Shabbat, on the third meal, words of Torah are told, and that seems to be new faces. So here we have a different uh, ex- explanation, a different encounter with these faces. There's 70 faces of the Torah, like wine. Okay, where is this going to take us? Okay, so um, there's uh, there's lots of bad things you can do in Judaism, right? There's uh, there's a list in the Mishnah of all sorts of heresies and blasphemies and terrible things that you can do um, to kind of really be cut off from the Jewish people. And one of them is Megale Panim Batorah, which is hard to translate. I'll translate it as literally as I can. Megale Panim Batorah, revealing the face of the Torah. <laughs> revealing the face of the Torah is a terrible thing. And it's, different texts give different examples of what it means to reveal the face of the Torah. But in the Talmud, one individual is is uh, kind of named as epitomizing what it is to megale panim b'Torah to reveal the face of the Torah, and who's that? It's Menashe, the son of Chizkiah. He's a king in the Torah. He's a bad king, but uh, he he. In the Torah, it doesn't say anything about. Oh, sorry. In the Tanakh, it doesn't say anything about his uh, Torah studies, right? 
But in the Talmud, he's considered the epitome of revealing the face of the Torah. Why? Okay, so we have a little story about him. Okay. Um, Menashe ben Chizkiah, what did he do? He would sit and he would make fun of... Oh, maybe that's me reading into it. It says, Doresh Bagadot Sheldofi. He would... He would teach um, how should I translate this? He would teach uh, difficult <laughs> right um, He would teach slanderous uh, stories from the Torah. okay It doesn't seem that he, he made anything up he 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 would just quote all sorts of verses in the Torah and say, why did Moshe have to write this? Right? So he gave, gives an example. Um, lotan timna. timna haita pilegesh lelifaz. Right? Um, in, the, in the book of Genesis, it talks about the whole family of Esav. Um, and in it, it just names all sorts of individuals that we don't know anything about. So it talks about Lotan's sister, Timna. Timna was the concubine of Eliphaz. And what Menashe was doing was he was quoting these verses and making fun of the Torah for having mentioned them. Right? He says the Torah is full of, of meaningless verses. Why would Moses have written that in the Torah? And he kind of weakened the Torah by saying not everything is significant in the Torah. Okay? So that's, that's Megaleh Panim It doesn't really help us understand what it means and why it's so bad. Yeah? But afterwards, the Talmud does an interesting thing. The Talmud says afterwards, actually, what is the point of these verses? Right? If we're saying Menashe was so bad for having made... made uh, uh, for having criticized the mention of these verses in the Torah, what do they all mean? So it goes verse by verse that's quoted by Menashe, and it gives the kind of a, a deeper meaning, or a midrash, a story that accompanies it. So let's look at that. Right? We're going on this journey here. Menashe said that uh, the verses about Lotan's sister Timna were... Just a waste of space. But the Talmud says, no. Who was this Timna? Right? Timna was the daughter of kings. Right? She was the daughter of kings and she wanted to convert. So who do you go to convert? Who do you go to to convert at those times? She went to Abraham and then she went to Isaac. And then she went to Jacob, and they did not accept her as a convert, right? The only Jews in the world at that time. Whatever, this is uh, um, completely... Uh, what do you call it? Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Whatever, it's, 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 it's not at the right time. Um, but, right, there's no such thing as Jews, no such thing as conversion at the time, but whatever. 
that we're reading re- reading into this. Um, so Timna tried to convert. She came to Abraham. He rejected her. She went to Isaac. He rejected her. She went to Jacob. He rejected her. And then she went to the grandson of Eliphaz, uh, the grandson of Esau, right? So the great-grandson of Isaac. And she said, well, I'll be his concubine. It's better that I'm a maidservant for this nation, that I'm part of this family, and I'm not nobility in another nation. Ultimately, she had a child called Amalek, and that Amalek became the enemy of the Jewish people. What's the reason that Amalek became the enemy of the Jewish people? It's a punishment for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob having rejected her as a convert. Hey, wow, that's an that's a incredible story, right? It also brings us back to Purim, because the Purim story is seen as... Um, part of the continual fight between between Amalek and the Jewish people, right? the arch enemies of the Jewish people, Amalek, come back to, to um, try and destroy them in the Purim story. And it all comes... And Menashe didn't understand this. Menashe didn't understand this story because he was Megalepanim Batorah. So what's Megalepanim Batorah? It's not showing the faces of the Torah. It's not panim chadashot, like we said about uh, uh, the one when, when we invite people uh, to listen to new words of Torah on the third meal of Shabbat. That's, that's panim chadashot. That's new faces in the Torah. But megale panim batorah is just the opposite. It's old faces. It's not having faces in plural. It's not having deeper meanings. It's not being able to, to see the rich story of, of Timna in the Torah. It's just being stuck at the literal meaning of the words, right? Panim in Hebrew can be uh, singular or plural. Yeah? So the way I see it, Megale Panim Batorah is singular. It's superficial access to the Torah. It's just the face. It's just the mask. It's a masked Torah, right? Panim Chadashot is accessing the 70 faces. Under the mask is faces and faces and faces and faces. And uh, there's a kind of richness and happiness in being able to access that. That's the, the uh, jouissance, that's the, the joy that we have at weddings, right? Panim Chadashot, everyone's there, there's lots of faces. And just the, as a, a married couple, each one in the presence of the other becomes something new and in the presence of their friends becomes something new, right? There's a, there's a newness and depth that come from, from being with other, pe- other faces. That's what we need to get to, right? And not, uh, not being stuck at the mask, that's megalepanim b'Torah. Revealing the face of the Torah is actually the opposite. It's not revealing the face of the Torah. It's it's thinking that you've re- re- revealed the face of the Torah, and a- actually you just got stuck at uh, at the face value of the Torah, right? Um, 
I'm going to end with one text that maybe brings us uh, out of Purim <laughs> towards Pesach. There's a wonderful, wonderful teaching of Rabbi Nachman. I think I've taught here before. If not, maybe I will. Maybe I'm doing it now. Um, it talks about the journey from, from Purim to Pesach. And uh, it brings a verse that talks about uh, the, the pilgrimage on Pesach. The pilgrimage on Pesach. Um, we're commanded to all go to Jerusalem. And the way, the way we'd have the text at the moment is to be is to be seen by God. To be seen by God on Pesach. Okay? The, the words are Shivat Yamim Tochal Matzot For seven days eat matzah Kasher Tziviticha Lemoed Chodesh Aviv This is the commandment of the month of Aviv. Kivoya Tzata Mimitzrayim That's the, the time in which you came out of Egypt. Velo Yira'u Fanai Rekam and you shall not be seen before my face empty-handed. Right? You have to bring your produce, you have to bring sacrifices, and you have to bring um, a fullness of self when you come to, to be seen by God. Okay? And Rabbi Nachman, when he reads this, he says, right? that, Those last words from Egypt... And my face shall not be seen empty-handed. Uh, the first initial of each of those words spells Purim. Okay? Purim is there in the verses of Pesach. And in those verses of Pesach, it talks about God's face. Okay? God's face shouldn't be seen empty-handed. So, uh, And I think... I think... Faces is, is the key here, right? What does it mean, God's face? Yeah? It's not... If, if, if you think that you're looking for a face, then that's idolatry, right? That's masicha, that's, uh, that's a mask, that's, that's completely the wrong way to go about acknowledging God. But um, if we think about panim chadashot, of having some kind of curious uh, desire to go closer and deeper and bring out newness that's that's the newness of Pesach that's the newness of, of of spirituality of coming close to God of seeing God everywhere um, that's what we should be doing so I hope you um, at least are curious enough to to think about these texts more and uh yeah, we'll keep thinking about them until next Purim and until the next wedding. And thank you for, for listening to this now.